And this morning, we are in Joshua chapter 4. Not going to read every single verse, but in a moment, we will start there in verse 1, Joshua chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 1. June the 6th, 1944, is probably the most important day of World War II. We call this D-Day. That is the day when Allied forces uh, stormed the shores of Normandy in order to liberate France and Europe from Nazi control, really turning the tides of the war. And probably the heaviest fighting took place at Omaha Beach in just a matter of hours. There were 2,400 American soldiers who were either killed or injured. But if you wanted to go back and visit that very beach where that picture was taken, that very place where that battle was fought, do you know what you would see if you were to return there today? You would see this memorial that was erected and placed on that very beach in order to remind everyone who sees it that there a battle was fought and a victory was won. I tell you that because we see something very similar in the Word of God this morning. Last week in Joshua chapter 3, God parted the waters of the Jordan River and Israel crossed over into the promised land Finally, after four centuries of slavery in Egypt, after more than 40 years of wandering in the desert, finally, Israel as a nation has entered the promised land. And so, in order to help them to remember this occasion, God told the people to build another monument. Now, this monument, if you just looked at it on the surface, it probably looked like a pile of rocks. But this monument was not a pile of rocks. It really was a sermon in stones. And the point of this particular monument was to remind the people who saw it that at that place, God fought a battle and God won a victory on their behalf. Because maybe the people, having crossed over, would begin to wonder, did we really see what we think we just saw? Maybe they would look back and begin to wonder and ask, was that real? Was that a dream? And every time they saw that monument, it reminded them of what God did and the lessons that they learned on that day. I find that sometimes we need monuments in our lives. We need memorials in our lives in order to remind us of what God has done in order to inspire us to have courage and to really trust the Lord. And so this morning, we're going to read this simple story about a memorial that the Israelites erected beside the Jordan River, and we're going to see two ways God used that memorial in order to inspire their courage and some of the lessons we can learn from that today. And the first thing that we see in this is a reminder of God's power. We see a reminder of God's power. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 4. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, 
and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. Verse 1 says that when all of the people had crossed over, that is when twelve men were sent back to pick up twelve stones. They carried these stones on their shoulders. We don't know exactly the size of this monument. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but maybe it looked something like this. They took these 12 stones, they brought them there, they placed them on the other side of the Jordan River. It was something tangible. It was something that you could see with your eyes. It was an object lesson for them. They erected some kind of memorial with those stones. And the key phrase in this chapter is that question that we see in verse 6. What do these stones mean? They meant that God wanted the people to remember what he had done for them and the power by which he had done it. Someone said that the greatest enemy of faith is forgetfulness. If we forget what God has done in the past, we will be less likely to have faith and trust him in the future. So these stones were meant to remind everyone who saw them that the same omnipotent God who cut off the waters of the Jordan is still all-powerful today. I believe our text shows us three things about God's power that this memorial was meant to signal to the people for example, it reminds us of God's power to save us, of God's power to save us. Let me remind you briefly of what we saw towards the end of the message last Sunday. The Bible says when God parted the Jordan River, you recall that the name of that river, Jordan, literally means judgment. And that river, those waters of judgment ceased starting at the actual city that was named Adam, all the way down to the Dead Sea. 
It stopped flowing when that Ark of the Covenant, which we saw as a picture of Christ, entered the waters before the people, and then the people had faith, and by faith they were able to cross over and enter into the promised land. And again, we see a beautiful picture of the gospel. Judgment flowed when Adam sinned, but Jesus entered the waters of judgment for us when he died for us so that all who have faith in him can cross over into the promised land of salvation and experience not eternal death, but eternal life. We'll get to chapter 4, and you know what? That imagery we saw last week, it continues, and our text seems to take it a step further. Did you notice in verse 9 that the Bible says that not only did those 12 men take stones and carry them to the other side to set up a memorial, but Joshua also took 12 stones and he set up a memorial in the midst of the Jordan River where those high priests had stood with the Ark of the Covenant. Did you realize when you read this story, you actually have two memorials built, not just one. There's one memorial beside the river, but there's the other memorial at the bottom of the river. Twelve stones that were buried, literally immersed. Twelve stones that were raised up. These stones are a picture of our lives and what God does with our sin. That memorial under the water, it sent a message. It said your old life is buried. It said your life of slavery in Egypt is buried. Your life of wandering in the desert is buried. And now you have new life in the promised land. It kind of reminds us of baptism. When a person is baptized, they are immersed in the waters of baptism. It's a picture of that old life of sin being buried and the new life that we have in Christ. Imagine it this way. Imagine two people standing beside this memorial by the river, and they're talking about it. And just imagine that the, the first man says to the second man, you know this memorial right here? Did you know? that there's another one just like it. And the second man says, oh, that's interesting. Where's the other one? And the first man points to the Jordan and says, at the bottom of that river. Well, now the second man looks at him with a, a strange look on his face, and, and he asks, why in the world would somebody put a memorial at the bottom of the river where nobody can see it. And the first man says to him, because that is what God did with our sin. That's what God did with our past. That's what God did with our shame. He buried it. In fact, did you know that the name of that place where they erected that other memorial, Gilgal, do you know what that literally means in the Hebrew? That means our reproach is removed. In other words, our shame is gone. That's what that memorial was meant to teach them. The Bible tells us in Micah 7, 19 that God will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. He removes them. He forgets them. And that monument, that memorial, was meant to remind them of that truth. 
It reminds us of God's power to save us. It also reminds us of God's power to sustain us. Notice in verse 3, we're told that they took those stones out of the midst of the Jordan from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. They were not to take just any old stones that they found when they were crossing the Jordan River. No, these stones had to come from the middle of the river where the waters were the deepest, where the priest who held the ark stood firm, the Bible says, on solid ground. Oh, these stones had to come from that very spot so the people would know that the same God who saved you is also able to sustain you at that place in your life where the waters are the deepest, where the waters of trials and tribulation are the deepest. Guess what? God's love is deeper still. So that they would know when you get to that place where the burdens that you carry are the heaviest, even there, God's grace is greater still. Sometimes you have to get to that point. You have to stand at the bottom of the river, so to speak, in order to learn just how firm the footing is in that place. To know just how strong is God's hand on your life. Well, these men carried out those stones from the Jordan. Joshua built his memorial in the middle of the Jordan. And then all that time, what was happening? Well, these priests were still there in the middle of the river, waiting, holding on to the Ark of the Covenant. Well, finally, look at what happened in verse 18. And it came to pass when the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan... And the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Do you remember last week we saw that at the very moment when the soles of the feet of the priest touched the Jordan River, that is when the waters were cut off. Now, in chapter 4, we're told at the very moment when the soles of their feet took them out of that river's path, it was at that very moment that the waters again began to flow. Thus, this miracle began and ended at just the right time, at just the right second. No one could look at this and call it a coincidence. It wasn't a coincidence. In verse 6, it's called a sign. In fact, that Hebrew word for sign, sometimes it's also translated a pledge. God said, this will be a pledge unto you. It was a pledge because the same God who did it can do it again. Same God who parted the Jordan is also able and willing, and he pledges to fight for his people and provide for his people and be for his people wherever we may go. So we see in this memorial a picture of God's power to save us, God's power to sustain us, but also God's power to unite us. Do you realize that four times in this story, four times, we are told that the 12 men who carried those stones out were 12 men from 12 different tribes. One man from each tribe. 
God wanted 12 stones carried by 12 men from 12 different tribes because that memorial was a reminder that even though they were different and even though they were many, God had made them into one people. That memorial said to them, yes, you are different. Yes, you are diverse, but you are one people of God, redeemed by God, by faith in the promises of God. And what was true of them is also true of us. We are different. We are diverse. We have different cultures. We come from different tribes, all sorts of different tribes, and yet it is the gospel that makes us one people, redeemed by one Savior through faith in one sacrifice, the death of Jesus upon the cross. Folks, that is what unites us in the body of Christ. And so this memorial, it was a reminder of God's power to save us and sustain us and unite us. Something else we see in this memorial, it also was a testimony of God's faithfulness. It was meant to be a testimony of God's faithfulness, not just to the people who had actually crossed the Jordan who experienced that firsthand, but it was a testimony of God's faithfulness to everyone who would come in years past. Look at verse 21. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us, until we had crossed over. We see a couple of ways in which this memorial that they built was meant to be a testimony of the faithfulness of God. For one, we see a testimony to our children. A testimony to our children. Now, in the verses I just read, this is the second time in this passage that Joshua tells the fathers that they must tell their children what these stones mean. And so let me just say, fathers, God has given you this responsibility, and no, you can't pass it off to anyone else. It's yours. These fathers must tell their children what these stones mean. Well, what do they mean in verse 22? It means that Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry land. But then in verse 23, it gets a little more personal. In fact, there's a key word in verse 23 that I do not want you to miss. He said, the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. I'm not so sure that Joshua was merely talking about those children who were alive at that time who literally crossed over the Jordan River with them. Because those children wouldn't have to ask this question. This memorial was not just for them. This was for future generations. That's the whole point. Future generations identifying with what God had done in the lives of their fathers. I can imagine another conversation taking place. Just imagine 50 years later, maybe 100 years later, a dad walking alongside the Jordan River He's got his children with him. 
as they're walking, they come to this memorial, and maybe a little boy looks up and says, Daddy, what's that pile of rocks over there? What does that mean? And the father says to his children, well, these stones mean that God dried up this river for you before you crossed over. And all of a sudden, that little boy has this confused look on his face. He says, Daddy, I don't understand. When did we cross over that river? And maybe the father has a grin on his face, and he looks at that little boy, and he smiles and says, when did you cross over that river? The moment you believed. You know, we too, just like Israel, we've got memorials in our lives that remind us of what God did for us even before we were born on Good Friday we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper as part of that service. We do that. It, it reminds us that even though we were not there physically when Jesus died upon the cross, we were there by faith. By faith, what Jesus did when he died for us is applied to us. It's as if we were there. Our children need to know this. They need to be reminded of this because in any society, do you realize we're just one generation away from forgetting God. That's it. Parents, this is why it is so important for you to tell your children how God has worked in your life. One of the ways you do that is by memorials to remind them of how faithful God has been. Let me ask you that question. What memorials have you received and what memorials might you leave behind to remind them of God's activity in your life. Me personally, I have this picture that I look at every now and then hanging up, a picture of the house, not the hospital, the house in which my grandmother was born, she and all 10 of her siblings. Back in 1908, I look at that house and I remember how God was at work in my family years before I was born. Sometimes when I read my Bible, I just grab that Bible that my mother would read. Many of you know my mom died when I was six years old. Sometimes, though, I'll take that Bible. It was the very same Bible that she held in her hand, same Bible that she would read. And sometimes I open up that Bible and I read through it and I see the, the marks that she made and the notes that she took in the margin of that Bible. And it reminds me of how God was at work in her life even before I was born. And that is a memorial to me. It reminds me of God's activity in the lives of those who came before me. It reminds me of God's faithfulness. And so, what memorial would you leave behind? Do you realize a memorial could be something as simple as you writing down your story for your children and their children and their children to perhaps come behind you and read about what God has done, what only God could do in your life. What memorials will you leave behind for those future generations I think that's a question we all need to ask ourselves when we read this story. 
This memorial we see as a testimony to our children, but then one more thing we see, we also see a testimony to the nations. A testimony to the nations. Notice with me at that last verse, verse 24, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You realize the purpose of this memorial was bigger than one nation. The purpose of this memorial was bigger than Israel. This memorial was all about the nations. God told them to build it so that all of the peoples of the earth may know how strong God's hand is, that he is mighty God, that all should fear him forever. And every time they passed by that memorial and they looked at those stones, it reminded them of their calling the calling that God had given to them to fill the whole earth with the knowledge of who God is and what God had done and what he promised to do for us one day. And that same responsibility that God gave to them in the Old Testament, he's given to us now. We recite those words at the end of every Sunday morning service. Go and make disciples of all nations, of all peoples. It's now our responsibility to fill the earth with the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ that all might know him. In our text this morning, there's one more detail that I want to point out about this story, which I believe points to how it is the nations are going to know him. I want you to notice in verse 19, now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. In the story, it was very, very important for the reader to know the exact day that this happened. The day when Israel crossed over the Jordan River on dry ground into the promised land. You might read that verse and maybe that date doesn't really stand out to you. Maybe it doesn't seem significant to you. Oh, I tell you, it would have been very significant to a Jewish audience. In fact, if you refer to the 10th day of the first month in Hebrew, the month of Nisan, if you were to refer to that day, it would be similar to me if I were to stand here before you, if I were to just throw out the date December 25th. The moment you hear December 25th, everybody here immediately thinks about what? Christmas and all the traditions that come along with it. All those memories flood your mind the moment you hear December 25th. If I were to just say July 4th, everyone here immediately thinks Independence Day. And suddenly you're thinking about our, our nation and our heritage and red, white, and blue and barbecue and fireworks and all of that. All those memories come flooding into your mind. Well, folks, if you were to just mention the 10th of Nisan, oh yes, that day was very, very significant. And you know why? Because in the book of Exodus, God told Moses that on the 10th day of the first month, on the 10th of Nisan, every family was to select a lamb. The lamb that would be sacrificed at Passover four days later. 
They had four days because they needed four days to closely inspect that lamb and make sure that it was a lamb without blemish and without spot. That lamb that they would sacrifice at Passover had to be without blemish and without spot because it was a picture of another lamb, a future lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus, who came from heaven to earth, who lived a perfect life, who had no blemish or spot of sin upon him at all. And this lamb was sacrificed not many times, not once per year, but once and for all for us. And isn't it interesting that on the very same day in which Israel crossed the Jordan River and came into the promised land, praise the Lord, the promised land, we're finally here, what do we do now? The very first thing they did, they started looking for a lamb. Picking out that lamb that four days later would be sacrificed. And we know that's the very first thing they did because when we get to chapter 5, the Bible tells us that they observed the Passover on the plains of Jericho. You realize it was not an accident. It was not a coincidence that this happened on that particular day. God could have told them to cross over that Jordan on any other day of the year, but God chose that day. And the text specifically tells us it happened on that day for a reason. Because God wanted them to associate in their minds these two events. The sacrifice of a lamb and their entrance into the promised land. God wanted them to always know that the reason why one could happen is because the other happened first. And likewise, the reason why we can enter the promised land of salvation is because Jesus, the Lamb of God, was first slain for us. In Joshua's day, they had 12 stones to remind them of their salvation. Twelve stones pulled out from the bottom of the Jordan River. Today, we have not twelve stones, but we have one stone that reminds us of our salvation. It's that stone that was rolled away from the tomb on which Jesus died, where he rose again on the third day. We're going to talk more about that stone next week, but just as those 12 stones beside the Jordan River preached a message to them, you know, there's a sense in which this stone preaches to us. You know what this stone says to us? This stone says God accepted the price that Jesus paid when he died on the cross for our sin. This stone says that death is defeated. This stone says that Jesus is alive. This stone says that Jesus is Lord. And this stone says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our God, we love you and we praise you for giving us again a picture of the gospel in something so simple as the story of your people crossing over a river. But God, we see once again how every page in this book, somehow, some way, 
points to the gospel. It points us to Christ. And God, we thank you that he came, that he entered the waters of judgment for us on our behalf so that we need not pass through them, that we could go from death into life, that we could enter the promised land of salvation by faith in Jesus. God, we thank you that not only are you able and willing to save us, but you are willing and able to sustain us. By the same grace that we're saved, you keep us. And God, for that, we thank you. And you unite us. You make us into one people, one body of Christ. So as we gather here today, oh, Father, we, we thank you for that stone that was rolled away 2,000 years ago, which today reminds us of the battle that was fought and the victory that Jesus won on our behalf. Father, we pray for those who perhaps have never followed Christ, have never called upon him to be Savior and Lord of their lives. We pray that this would be that day in which by faith they cross over, that they call upon you, acknowledging their sin, acknowledging their need for a Savior. We invite you, we ask you, God, to move and work in the hearts of of each person, especially those who do not know you, who need to be born again. But God, I pray for all of us here that all of us would take lessons we've learned and apply them, that perhaps for some of us there are some memorials that we need to build so that we would remember what you have done, how powerful you are, how faithful you are, how good you are, the fact that just as you worked in the lives of those before us, you will work in our lives and you will work in our children's lives. You're faithful to a thousand generations. So God, I thank you for that. Help us, Lord, to see those memorials that perhaps we should build up in our own lives that we might remember. And as we remember, that we'd have courage to follow you wherever you lead us. And we give you thanks and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I said earlier in this message, those 12 stones at the bottom of the Jordan River, what a picture of what God will do with your sin. Has there been that point? Has there been that moment in your life where you simply called upon him and admitted and said, I I am a sinner. I've broken your law. But God, I need you to do that with my sin. I need you to bury them. I need you to remove them. I need you to forgive me and save me. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He's ready and willing to do that for you right now. And so I want to encourage you not to wait another day. This can be that day in which you are born again. Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. Has there been that moment where you said, I'm I'm turning away from sin, I'm turning away from my old life, and now here I am, Lord, I'm turning my life over to you, and I'll follow you, Jesus, wherever you lead. As we sang earlier, wherever you lead, I'll go. I'll be standing here at the front, and I want to just encourage you Uh, once this service is over and people are greeting one another, I know the easiest thing to do is just head straight for the exit. Maybe some of you need to come to me and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm ready. I need to take that step of faith. I want to give my heart and my life to Christ. And man, I'd love just to meet with you and pray with you uh, these next few moments. And so I want to just plead with you, if that's where you are right now, to take that step and to come. Uh, maybe for some of you, uh, you just want to continue the conversation. You'll notice uh, there's a place where you can mark on our connection card that you want to know more about following Jesus. 
uh, what it means to be saved. Also, if you're watching online, you send that text message uh, to that number on the screen, uh, especially if you just text the word connect to that number. Uh, you'll get a link. You click on that link and let us know if that's what God is calling you to do, especially if today uh, you are following Jesus as Savior of your life for the very first time. Please let us know that so we can celebrate with you and help you. Uh, but again, I'll be standing here at the front, and I want to encourage you, don't leave here today without Jesus.